Oral questions by members? Member for Abbotsford West. Uh, thanks, Mr. Speaker. For weeks now, the official opposition has been seeking real, actual relief for British Columbians who are facing dramatically increasing costs of living, including, unfortunately, the, the NDP government's uh, relentless continued increases to the carbon tax. Those requests have been dismissed. They have been ignored. Yesterday, the official opposition received a copy of an internal memo sent by the Minister of Energy, Mines and Low Carbon Innovation. Uh, I know the Minister will remember the memo. She sent it yesterday uh, at 7.13 a.m. Uh, it's from the Minister and I've sent a copy uh, over to her just a few moments ago so she'd have it to reference. It begins with the following line, quote, the Premier is looking for a big and shiny affordability measure. It goes on to reveal plans to politically manipulate BC Hydro, to stall collapsing support for Clean BC. Can the Minister of Energy and Mines uh, explain what exactly she meant by big and shiny affordability measure? Wow. Premier. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, I wonder why the member of the opposition would be surprised that this side of the House is looking for every opportunity to support British Columbians. <laughs> no apology for searching for affordability options for British Columbia, especially as we prepare members, our budget. Members. Big affordability initiatives? Absolutely, Honourable Speaker. And let me tell you about the affordability initiatives that many British Columbians actually think are helpful and shiny, Honourable Speaker. Reducing childcare costs by up to $900 a month. That's a big affordability the other side kept increasing ICBC rates over and over, and that minister lacked the political courage to even release a report with the recommendations of how to fix ICBC when he sat on this side of the House, the, minister, the member for Abbotsford West, when he cut those pages out of the report about how to make ICBC more affordable for British Columbians. And now he stands up and says, shame on you for trying to find more affordability options for British Columbians. Shame on you, member. Member for Abbotsford West, supplemental. Uh, thanks, Honourable Chair. Well, it'll be interesting to see if the, uh, the Premier maintains his uh, enthusiasm to defend the document. The, uh, the Minister's memo uh, goes beyond just uh, manipulating families with talks of something big and shiny, which, by the way, families need something real and practical, not big and shiny. In her memo, uh, the Minister proposes an order in Council to gain, quote, this is the quote from the memo. Leverage with companies like Fortescue, you're either going to pay BC Hydro $1 billion under the existing tariff or agree to scale down the size of your project. End quote. Fortescue is the proponent of Project Coyote, a multi-billion dollar 
uh, green hydro, uh, hydrogen and ammonia production facility located in Prince George. Can the minister, can the minister explain what appears to be a clear threat and what does she mean when she says she wants to acquire leverage over Fortescue? Premier. Well, Honourable Chair. Members. Now we're... Members. <laughs> members. Premier has the floor. These, these are the exact projects that the members on the other side were railing against yesterday in our Clean BC plan. How dare you? dollar plant for the members member for Prince George's community that is struggling economically. Members. They all stood up and said abandon climate change. Member. Member for Prince George Wilmot. Members, please. No interruptions. Thank you. Honourable Speaker, today they're supporting it supposedly. Yesterday it was all about attacking our Clean BC plan that's delivered record numbers of investment in this province from companies like Fortescue. I met with the CEO, he flew to Prince George, he met with the mayor, he met with the First Nations. I love the project. There is a huge challenge. They need a thousand megawatts of power to do what they want to do and it has to be clean energy. We have to do this work with Members. Fortescue. We have to do this work with hydrogen. The other side got up yesterday and they said, we're going to rewarm Christy Clark's 2013 LNG plan. Well, we're moving in a different direction, Honourable Speaker. They oppose it. We stand for climate action. We support the project and we're going to do the work. Members. Let's have the courtesy to hear each other, please. Member for Absol West, second supplemental. And uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, what has become abundantly clear is the new direction involves threatening companies. Threatening them. Companies who are threatening companies that have entered a regulatory process in good faith who are part of an exercise who want to invest but are now according According to the Minister of Energy and Mines own document being confronted by this, quote, you'll either going to pay BC Hydro a billion dollars or agree to scale down the size of your project. Isn't that eerily familiar to what the BC Business Council economist Mr. Peacock said when he wrote that the government's approach to climate change is to downsize the economy, is to shrink the economy, make your project smaller. We want to see people come to British Columbia and, and, and invest. And the Minister of Energy is developing strategies to threaten them. So the question to threaten them to downsize their project, she sent the memo, the Premier can try to cover as much as he wants, what did she mean when she said to Fortescue, when she alluded to Fortescue and said, I'm going to either get them to pay a pay billion dollars or I'm going to tell them to downsize their project? Why are you Member, you want to answer? <laughs> if not, please, please stay quiet. Premier. The, the inconsistency 
from the other side of the house on climate action is unbelievable. This is the same group that literally yesterday said they would rip up the climate plan that delivered Canada's first renewable, Canada's first renewable diesel refinery, Canada's first in Prince George. They said they would rip up that plan. That was yesterday. If you want to talk about threatening business, if you want to talk about threatening jobs, abandoning member, aban member, abandoning the clean BC plan that has delivered lower emissions, record foreign direct investment, including you can the ask e another question project, after that, including the Emoli project in Maple Ridge, with a company that wouldn't have come here under their watch because they were only promoting LNG. Fortescue, I met with the CEO, he met with the mayor, he met with First Nations, we love the project. Here's the challenge. They need a thousand megawatts of clean power. How do we ensure that we deliver that without impacting rate affordability for British Columbians? We need affordability, we need clean energy, we need jobs. And honorable speaker, there's only one party that's gonna deliver all those things. It's this side of the house. That side of the house doesn't like this project. They don't like the clean diesel refinery. They don't like clean BC. They rip it all up, and that's not a surprise to anybody. Members, members, if the opposition wants to ask questions and answer themselves, that's okay, we can arrange that. If not, let the other side answer. You, may, you will disagree with the answer, no doubt about it, but let's have the courtesy to listen to that, please. Member for Kootenay East. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Well, this isn't the time for deflection. This is time for some answers and some straight-up ones from the Minister. She's got some explaining to do. Let's look at the tactics that are being used right now by this government to adjudicate projects. Let's be clear, the NDP is clearly picking winners and losers here because according to the Minister herself, in her own document, it says right now we have no framework to adjudicate between projects fairly, end quote. The Minister's memo underlines how NDP manipulation has left BC Hydro woefully short of the power we need. We've been saying that for a long time now, and there is not enough electricity for industrial development. This NDP government were the ones that delayed and opposed Site C and shut down clean energy projects, mainly IPPs, and now they don't have enough power, and now they're in panic mode. The Minister writes she wants to use a stick against companies and is intent on applying leverage against Fortescue's Project Coyote project to force them to scale down the size of their project. That's clean and simple. The minister needs to respond. Can the minister explain in her own words about using leverage and a stick against companies? Premier. Honourable Speaker, I have been very clear that there is a huge opportunity for British Columbia right now. We have clean, firm power that is in desire from a whole range of industries. Now, the province of Quebec has been building an advance of demand. I think there's an opportunity for us to do that too. And so we have a task force working with BC Hydro to deliver more power at actually affordable rates for British Columbia, because that's something that matters to us. And it didn't matter to you when you did the IPP project. So in, in addition to that, Members. we have a number of proposals coming forward to us that are looking at the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States and saying, look, we're thinking about locating in the United States. What kind, of, what kind of support can you offer in British Columbia? And we're working with the federal government Member? with these companies. But we need a framework to be able Wichel to determine Cotton? which projects no. go ahead. 
in terms of public support in that way. This is not an inconsequential thing. It resulted in a billion dollar investment in Maple Ridge in the E1 Moli project. So when we get it right, there are good family supporting jobs. But it's important to get it right. It is a fraught process. This is public money and it is serious. So the need for a framework is an important thing. And I'm surprised the members oppose that, but of course they oppose our entire clean economy agenda where we're reducing emissions and delivering jobs right across the province. Courtney Supplemental. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Well, we have all this power. If we're so flush with power, why are we using sticks and leverages against companies? These are partners in British Columbia, Honourable Speaker, using a leverage and a stick against these companies who have entered a regulatory process, such as Project Cayo, in an environmental assessment process right now, in good faith, I might add, is just the kind of unpredictable and hostile environment that will drive more jobs out of BC. Here is yet another candid admission from the Minister about the NDP's cost BC framework that is in total shambles. The framework makes, quote, most projects uneconomic to proceed, end quote. Can the Minister explain, and here's the opportunity for the Minister to explain her own memo. Can the Minister explain her own words about making most projects uneconomic? Premier. Thank you, Honourable Chair. November 2023, E1 Mali announces a $1 billion battery plant in Maple Ridge, 450 jobs. January 2023, U.S. company Alchemy X invested $201 million in expanding visual effects operations in Vancouver. September 2023, Canfor announced $200 million for new high-efficiency facility in Houston, B.C. June 2023, Massive Canada announced a $75 million new mass timber manufacturing facility in Williams Lake. March 2023, DP World completed their $350 million Vancouver port expansion. September 2022, Sand Group announced a $23 million in the value-added division at Port Alberni. April 2022, Weta FX announced $201 million for their international visual effects office outside Numbers. New Zealand. August 2021, no. Hexagon Purist broke ground on a $237 million battery pack and hydrogen storage facility. I could go on, Honourable Chair. House Leader of the Third Party. Rest assured, Mr. Speaker, the Premier will have his opportunity to continue, but on a different topic. Perhaps with all the exercise the Premier's been getting today, he will finally, finally answer a question on behalf of the most vulnerable children in our province. For years, we've heard tragic stories. We've read the Ministry of Children and Family Development audits and the damning reports from the representative of children and youth. All have painted a picture of a broken child welfare system in British Columbia. This session, I have clearly outlined the hypocrisy of this BC NDP government who can't even hold themselves to the same basic standards that their former leader, John Horgan, had when he demanded the minister protect children and not protect the institution, Mr. Speaker. After hearing yet another tragic story in the Fraser Valley, reading another pathetic ministry audit, I've had enough. And for the first time, and only time, I called for the resignation or the firing of a cabinet minister. There's another story, Mr. Speaker, this time of a judge, Kimberly Arthur Leung, who excoriated this ministry for failing to deliver the basic standards of social work while holding parents accountable. The judge called for, quote, ethical, moral, and legal consequences for the level of neglect. 
Mr. Speaker, to the Premier, what more is there to say? How many more stories do we need to hear and read before this Premier will finally stand up as he's been doing all morning and seriously take action for a serious problem? Mr. Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. And I absolutely understand his passion. I understand where the question is coming from. And when I hear of examples where basic practice and policy are not being followed, I also have the same response. And I also ask those questions. And I give direction to staff to make sure that actually policies and procedures are being followed and that I know that there is good quality oversight of all of the practice of all of our frontline workers. Having been a frontline worker myself, Honourable Speaker, I know how important it is to follow basic practices and procedures to make sure that children are seen, that they are supported and that they receive Members. all of the services that they need. Members. Member Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Let the answer stand to provide the example of why we need a new Minister of Children. When we are reduced to talking about the most basic level of service not being delivered over and over and over again, not one audit, not one report, but multiple, over and over and over again, and then that's the response? It's astonishing, Mr. Speaker. We have been raising policy, good policy ideas, policy ideas that aren't necessarily ours. They're shared by the social work community that can improve the Ministry of Children and Family Development. We suggested that instead of apprehending children and dooming them to this broken child welfare system this minister is managing, why not put the $135,000 into a fund, make it accessible by the family, get them food and clothing for daycare and other social services that they need? Instead of having the social workers, why not have them support the family, not destroy them? We made basic suggestion that social workers in this ministry be required to be members of the College of Social Work, Mr. Speaker. It protects them and the children from the broken bureaucratic child welfare system. The BCNDP, they're studying it. The report unavailable. It's clear the Minister of Children and Family Development is totally incapable of the transformational change that her ministry needs. So through you to the Premier, one more chance to stand up and answer this question, Mr. Premier. One more chance. When are you, when is he going to replace this Minister of Children and Family Development with a serious person? Someone who's going to take the job seriously, just like they did in the 1990s, maybe with someone from outside of government and create a child welfare system in this province that we can be proud of, Mr. Speaker. Minister. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Um, since 2017, we have been making really significant changes in the ministry. This, this chamber unanimously supported significant legislative change to support Indigenous child, uh, child welfare jurisdiction. We have also introduced historical legislation leading the country to support young people who are leaving the care system and transitioning to adulthood. We have harmonized the rates for in-care and out-of-care, and we're changing the whole of the in-care system. We're working on the system and services to support children and youth with support needs. Honorable Speaker, we have the lowest number of children and youth in care in over 30 years. We have the lowest number of Indigenous children 
in care in over 20 years. Honourable Speaker, I know there is a lot more work to do, and I am absolutely <coughs> determined to continue to make improvements and to change the child welfare system. Leader of the Fourth Party. Robust. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Today, the City of Surrey is going to the people of Surrey with an ad campaign showing that this NDP's Surrey police tax will cost Surrey residents $10,000 per homeowner over a 10-year period, with zero increase in public safety. Conservatives have been clear. We support democracy. We support a referendum on policing in Surrey so that Surrey taxpayers can make an informed, democratic decision. But unfortunately, instead, the Premier has come down on Surrey with an iron fist. And since then, the NDP has been trying to bully, belittle, and diminish Mayor Brenda Locke and the Surrey taxpayers. So the question to the Minister of Public Safety, now that the City of Surrey has taken out advertisements to demonstrate how much this brutal NDP tax site is costing everyday working homeowners, will you admit that this bullying approach has failed, restore democracy, and hold a referendum? Opposition House Leader. Thank you so much. Sorry, uh, um, Government House Leader. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I appreciate it. Thanks to the member for the question. Uh, we have canvassed this uh, issue um, extensively. Uh, this has been a topic in our region for five years now, uh, where uh, the decision first by an elected uh, council was made to head towards uh, a regional police service. Uh, I do believe the mayor was part of uh, the, the, the mayor was part of that original slate that ran on having Surrey police. Uh, now um, we've gone through our extensive review. The solicitor general has uh, done independent reviews on costing, and it was determined that uh, in order to ensure safety of the public, that the the police transition needs to continue. That was what was determined. Now I think it's important that uh, that you know. The City of Surrey, of course, can do what they believe they need to do. But when we have so many challenges in our communities, we are, we are, we're struggling with housing. We're struggling with so many things. Surely, members. if the member over there has a question, I suspect the member should stand up and ask the question. This was asked by the BC Conservative Party. So if the mayor wants to address uh, important issues in our community, like housing and other th issues, what I would recommend is instead of spending dollars on this, spend that money on infrastructure so we can get more housing built in our communities. Member Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I'm sure the residents of Surrey would much rather be spending those $10,000 on those infrastructure as opposed to the NDP's tax plan. However, Mr. Speaker, Surrey isn't the only, <coughs> isn't the only one suffering across this province. Families all across BC are uh, <coughs> being crushed by this unbelievable weight of the socialist NDP's anti-homeowner agenda. They wish to be socialist. This NDP Premier says, and I quote, government cannot rely on the private sector. Government needs to build middle-class housing, end quote. He says that the NDP built homes, the government-owned homes, will be, and I quote, privatization-proof, end quote. In other words, this anti-private sector NDP plan <coughs> will actually make it impossible for middle-class workers to actually own their own home and build equity for that matter. So, Mr. Speaker, I just want to point out that this approach has been tried in other jurisdictions, Cuba, Venezuela, 
Argentina, North Korea, and even the old Soviet Union took this approach. Members, the reality is. Member has the floor. Please, please continue. Member will continue. The reality is socialism kills the middle class. That's been proven time and time again. Why is this NDP Premier suggesting that the private sector has no role in building housing? And does he really believe that socialism this time could actually work? Government House Leader. <laughs> I, I don't know where to start, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, it's, it's not often that I'm lost for words in this place. Um, I spent the last uh, few days defending our legislation to allow more private sector homes to be built. Uh, I spent two days defending our position on enabling the private sector to be able to build more housing. And today I'm being told that we're destroying the private sector and, uh, and not. I, I don't know. Honourable Speaker, I, I don't believe this is a serious question. But I will say. Members. 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 Honourable Speaker, here's what we have said consistently, and I'll say it again. The private sector has a role to play in addressing the housing crisis. That's why we're legalizing housing with our legislation. That's why we're legalizing housing on single-family lots. That's why we're legalizing opportunities for homes near transit. But we cannot address the housing crisis just by the private sector. There are certain segments of our population that the not-for-profit sector has to play a role in. We said that from the beginning. We need everyone to be part of the solution. Yes, the private sector has a very important role. We need to support that. But the non-market housing sector must grow. That's why, Honourable Speaker, we're investing $7 billion in funding to build affordable housing. That's why we have a half a billion dollar rental protection fund. Thank you. That's Thank why you. we have a half a billion dollar rental protection fund to get more housing back Thank into the non-market sector. It's vitally important we do that, Honourable Speaker. Thank you so much. <laughs> Member for Pratsville, Qualicum. Thank you, Speaker. Uh, yesterday in question period, I heard the Premier, as we all did, make statements uh, defending the Clean BC plan and pointing out that 2022 was a record year for exports in British Columbia. Uh, the party was jubilant about the idea uh, that we saw a record level of, of exports and pointed to that success as the Clean BC Plan. Members in this House know that our largest export is energy products. And in 2022, we saw a massive increase, a doubling of the value of coal exports in British Columbia. There is a lack of common sense when the Premier, in defending the Clean BC Plan, points to a doubling of coal exports as a measure of success. My question to the Minister of Energy, Mines and Low Carbon Innovation is we will see in the next couple of years some significant energy projects come online. The Trans Mountain Pipeline in one year, LNG Canada two years from now, the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline is already completed. The question to the Minister of Energy, Mines and Low Carbon Innovation is what is the total emissions that we will see in British Columbia, not the downstream emissions, what are the emissions that we will see in British Columbia from these projects for the pipeline, for the compressor stations, and for the fuel that we use to transfer this energy across the world? Minister of Environment.
Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. As the member knows, our Clean BC plan is modelled on a 40% uh, reduction in emissions from the 2007 baseline by 2030. We're working hard to meet that. That includes accounting for uh, resource extraction and production in British Columbia. It includes, as the member should know, the emissions upstream and at the facility from LNG Canada Phase 1 that was modelled within the plan. In addition to that, we're bringing in uh, an emissions cap on the oil and gas sector to meet their sectoral target of 33 to 38%. And the member should know that coal exports from British Columbia are metallurgical coal among the least carbon-intensive coal in the world, and it is used to make steel for things like wind turbines and many other facets of the clean economy. Member Supplemental. Thank you, Speaker. Um, I listened carefully and I, I didn't get an answer at all. Um, yes, we're exporting coal and, and the party seems to be proud of this. That coal gets burned. Whether it's used to create energy or used to create steel, it still represents significant emissions. I'm not talking about the downstream emissions. We have seen in the 16 years of the BC Liberals, now BC United, the total emissions in British Columbia went down by 2.4 megatons. Under their watch, emissions went down. I'm, we have seen this government reduce emissions by 2.4 megatons, exactly the same. The question is not about all the great work that's taking place. I asked very specifically, and I know the Minister has the answer, what are the total emissions that these three massive industrial projects will have uh, for British Columbia? Minister of Environment. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And let me uh, correct the member. Emissions went up in British Columbia from 2007 to 2017, and when we introduced the Clean BC Plan in 2018, they have gone down in absolute terms. They've gone down on per capita terms while our economy has grown, while our population has grown massively. It is significant, below when we took office and below 2007, and our efforts to reduce emissions further continue to ramp up. If the member wants exact numbers, I suggest the member access the Clean BC website where we provide transparent information for all British Columbians. Thank you. The bell ends the question period.